Welcome to Storytelling with Lindsay Bednar. Yay, hi. Hi, how are you? Great, how are you? Lovely, having the best day. So oh. excited to be here. So excited to see you. Me too. I was going to say we probably talked already this morning, which we had just over text anyway. Yes, we did. Because that's pretty much a daily occurrence, which is... Yeah. Well, it, so there were so many things that dawned on me since we connected last that you, I, I didn't ask you questions to let you speak to some of the experiences that I need the audience to hear. Because one of the things I, th- I think is so remarkable in your journey is what happened that led you to discovering a ketogenic lifestyle and how that incident really changed so much of the trajectory. And we, I mean, we talked about um, you getting into meditation and I I think we talked about the, the uh, leg break a little bit, but, um, but what, when you started doing the research, I'll let you speak to all that. Um, So I wanted to start there and uh, then we'll get to tons of other things. I'm sure. Perfect. I love it. So one of the things I'd like to do just to set the context or the stage for the discussion is I have now finally accepted that even when times are tough or even when things happen to you that are difficult, that truly not only are those things happening for you, not to you, of course, as you and I always talk about, but it really is that the universe is constantly conspiring in your favor, which which is something that I never would have said or believed even 10 years ago. I probably would have said that five years ago that I started to wake up to it. But realizing how, going back to sort of the incident that you referenced, so for anyone who doesn't know this, in December of 2013, keep in mind, this is coming up on 10 years this year. So, really? Yes, yes, which is wild. So in December of 2013, I was on a work trip in Williston, North Dakota, and I fell and broke my right leg in 10 places. And that was my tibia fibula. So your tibia is the large, thick bone in the part between your ankle and your knee that basically holds your leg together. So it wasn't above my knee. It wasn't my femur. It wasn't anything up there, but it was the whole lower part. So obviously I couldn't put any weight on my leg. I was... I wasn't airlifted because it happened right in front of the Williston airport, actually. Someone called an ambulance and an ambulance brought me to the hospital in Williston, North Dakota, and they knocked me out (laughs) and splinted my leg. And when I say they knocked me out, that is the most drugs I've ever been on in my entire life. And the fact that I woke up from it is still shocking to me. So they gave me two different doses of 50 milligrams or 50, whatever the unit is of fentanyl, which is like a fast acting pain reliever, right? When they got to me and it started to wear off and I started screaming again. And so they gave me more. And then when they got to that, they got me to the hospital in order to be able to kind of move my leg together just so they could splint it and get me back to Minneapolis because they couldn't do surgery on it because they can't do surgery right after an injury like that because you're too swollen. So they put me on morphine, Dilaudid, and propofol, which the only way I've heard about that is it's what my killed Yes. Yes. So I was on all three of those cocktails and I, I give a lot of credit to the anesthesiologist that they only gave me enough to put me out and not kill me. So... When I woke up, my leg was splinted and they flew me back then to Minneapolis. So I had surgery about a week later where they put 20 pieces of metal into my leg. So it was um, 
two plates on the outside and then screws to hold all those, to hold the plates in and to rehab my bone. So that's sort of all interesting and like crazy and wow, how did that happen to you? And, and I know now that the universe was really bringing me to this next kind of trajectory of my career, which was here I go diving deep into, I want to heal this as fast as possible. I want to go right back to the gym and start lifting for all the other body parts that aren't broken. So a week after surgery, maybe two weeks at the most, I hobbled into Discover Strength on crutches and was like, hey guys, I'm here for my workout. I can do left leg. I can do abs and back. I can do my entire upper body. The only thing I can't do right now is my right leg. And after my lower left leg, right leg starts to heal a little bit, I'll even be able to do my quadricep on my right leg, you know, because it was, it was only from below my knee. So that I'm convinced is part of what helped me stay strong and recover quickly. But more important than that was really this whole journey I dove into with nutrition. So I didn't see, I, I shouldn't say I didn't seek out. I definitely started researching a little bit, like how could this have happened to me simply because I had run so many marathons by that point and I was very strong from weightlifting. But really serendipitously, because again, the universe is always conspiring in your favor, I realized that this chiropractor slash physical therapist slash I call him sort of a wizard that I had connected with at the time was a gentleman who happened to be an ultra runner. So when he would be working on me and my rehab and helping me with exercises and physical therapy and all that, I would talk to him about, you know, all sorts of things. One of which was, okay, so you run these 50 mile races, you run a hundred mile races. And I said, buddy, I've done lots of marathons, but I can't imagine running further than that. What do you eat? And he said, well, I eat fat. I eat lots of macadamia nuts. I eat avocados. I eat fattier meats. And I was like, wait a second, hold up. Because I of course assumed coming from the marathon world, that he was eating tons and tons and tons of carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And that was really what got me interested in this whole fat-fueled athlete thing and eventually what led me down this other path. So because of how I started to change my nutrition and then because I kept strength training, the doctors had told me after surgery that I would not walk on my right leg for at least three months. And because of how good care of myself I took, I was walking on it again after exactly two months so I proved them wrong. And then a few months later, so six months after surgery, I was running on my legs again, which was incredible. And then that was in about June, I'd say, of 2014. I got all of the metal taken out of my leg in December of 2014. So they only needed to leave it in there for a year, which was amazing. And then I trained really hard that next spring for the Twin Cities Marathon. And I ran my fastest marathon in October of 2015. So I guess my whole point in sharing all of that long drawn out story with you, Lindsay, is that it's such a testament to nutrition and physical activity and really prioritizing your recovery. And what I didn't realize was also going on at the time, but the universe, of course, was working in the background as it does, is this was going to launch me into a totally different career that I had no concept at the time was going to happen for me, which is wild. I know. You think back to uh, how all of those things played out. And I've had so many conversations with people that are like, I think people don't always leave something until they're almost pushed out of it. And uh, it's so funny because I was, when I was teaching, I was part of these, um, alternative learning programs and like one by one, they kept, these programs kept shutting down. Like the first one I was part of that program shut down. I was part of a nut, like for budgetary reasons or whatever. It was like, I was keep getting these nudges like, okay, this, you know, maybe go this way, maybe go this way. Um, and yes. you know, it took a while to yeah. listen to it, but I feel like 
that's the case with so many of us. We need kind of that, like, uh, like you talked about it in the last episode, I think it's the, the feather, the brick in the truck. Yes. Yes. The universe gets your attention by first hitting you with a feather. And for most people, unless they're very awake, they don't pay attention to the feather. So then along comes the truck or the brick. And then if you don't pay attention to the brick, along comes the truck. And the leg break for me was obviously my truck that year. But the brick for me was three months earlier, I had fallen trying to surf when I was in Kauai for a wedding. And I got drilled. Yeah. And remember, it was that same leg. It was my right leg also. And because I was still you know, in operation robot mode, lawyering is so many hours a week, still coping from my divorce that had happened a year earlier. I was a human doing, not a human being. Mm -hmm. I came back from Kauai and I was like, well, I don't care that my right hamstring is full black and blue and my whole upper leg. And I basically couldn't walk for a day. I'm still running the marathon, darn it, because I said I would. And I was, so here I run the marathon in, in October of 2013. And the universe was like, Hey, you're not listening. We're trying to get your attention. And then the leg break happened just a couple months later, which is kind of wild. So I hear you though, in terms of one of the things I work with clients on a lot is we really have to be open to and aware of and sort of present in our daily life to even notice these signs and synchronicities. One of the ones that was happening for me around this career change that I really haven't talked about publicly is I actually started to have a fair amount of conflict with a few of my partners in the summer of 2018. And you know this because you're my sister and we've talked about that privately, but you know, all, all things are great now and I'm still very close with them. And I've been left, I've left the law firm years ago, but that was a very difficult time for me because I was very close with these partners and they were like, you know, one was a second father to me. Another one was a really good friend. I just felt so blindsided almost that they were really what was happening at the time is they were frustrated that I had gone to a health conference on a weekend and I maybe had taken a Friday off to do it. And I was like, wait a second, I can do what I want on my vacation and my free time, you know, which obviously is true. But what I realized after some, a fair amount of reflection was they really were concerned that they were going to lose me or that I wasn't loyal. And a few months later, they apologized. We understand you're loyal. I mean, it ended up working out all fine, but it was a year later and I had no idea, by the way, at the time that I was going to leave. A year later, I did end up leaving. And if I look back on it now, I can see that the universe was like, we have to, you love this job so much and you love lawyering so much. We're actually going to have to take some steps here to make things uncomfortable enough for you so that you actually even consider leaving. Because prior to that, I wouldn't have considered it. I was like, this is my career. This is my identity. I love it. I make a lot of money. It's very interesting work. It fills me up intellectually. Like I never would have thought of leaving. And now I realize, oh, that was all by design of the universe to get me to start saying, huh, what if I did leave? Like, what would that look like? And then the dominoes just started to fall from there, which was kind of cool. Right. I mean, so many of those things happen. And, uh, I think the vast majority of us don't stop to think about what, why is this happening for me? Like you said, rather than to me, I was just talking to, um, a parent actually, uh, there's with like tryouts that happen and they were nervous for their kiddo, uh, going through tryouts as any parent is because we, you know, naturally we want to protect them from pain. And of course, that's not our role as a, a parent. Our role is to not um, project our fears onto our kids. But um, 
it is it, it, it's very difficult to do when you know that they can um, they they might be setting themselves up for hurt and you want to protect them for that. Yeah. So we had this conversation about, um, you know, it, what if they don't make the what if they don't make the team? You know, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know if I can go through it again. And I, and I just reminded this. This friend of mine and I said, um, I promise whatever happens is for your kiddo. And every time something um, that didn't go my way initially that I was just distraught about uh, opened the door to something I wouldn't have considered otherwise, or I just wouldn't have gotten to. Yeah. It's like when one door closes, another door opens. And I think Mm -hmm. you're such a good example of that when it comes to parenting, because you and I've had so many discussions over the years just about how, how difficult it is as a parent to set your fears and your own emotions around things aside and like let your kid fall on their face if they have to, or let them go through the difficulty if they have to. But one of the things just for perspective about it, I think can help is as a parent, I'm always thinking, well, wait a second. I'd almost rather have them go through that heartbreak, heartache, failure, whatever it is in the confines of my little bubble before they turn 18. So I can control them and I can can teach them about how to access their feelings and let them cry with me. And, you know, you kind of almost are like, I don't want them to never have that happen before 18. And then they're off living in college, trying to stuff all their emotions and drink them away or mm-hmm. eat them away. Like it's actually so healthy to 100%. allow them to have that spaces, those spaces and places before they turn 18. Yeah. To go through adversity, because not only are you then there to coach them and to nurture them through it, but then it just makes them a more dynamic, well-rounded character because you can't, you can't have as much uh, empathy for others or appreciation for what you do have, unless you go through that stuff. And so that's really what starts to, you know, create our character and make them stronger. No question. Exactly. And I, I really feel like one of the things that's so underappreciated or undervalued in our society. And, you know, you and I listen to Joe Garrigan all the time. He talks about this a lot is just the importance of becoming resilient as a human, yeah. which I believe comes from discipline, comes from hard work. I mean, I just finished my two week cleanse, which you've done with me plenty of times and the testimonials that I've been receiving and the comments I've been getting from clients who participated are just so fun because they're like, basically the messaging is this was something that was really hard for me. And I'm so freaking proud of myself because I did it and I feel amazing because I did it and stuck to it. Even when it got hard, like, you know, there's no better feeling than when you complete a difficult challenge like that, that lasts for something like two weeks. It's so powerful. I know. And that is the thing about that is not only do you have a sense of pride in just completing it because it is hard. Like for some people, the things that you have to give up, it's, it's the first time they've ever given them up before. Yes. So, coffee being one. Sorry, folks. Spoiler yeah. alert. If you ever want to do my cleanse, we got a cup of caffeine. And I'm telling you, caffeine. Oh, it was a crash for me off a lo- it was like it was like I jumped off a cliff this time because yeah. remember last year I had given up coffee for nearly a year. And right. I was without caffeine and I was thriving and I was fine. And then I went to Peru and they have this amazing Peruvian coffee. Oh, and right. I, you know, I and I and Italy before that, amazing Italian espresso and whatever. So I'm slogging them back, like I'm mainlining it into my veins. And then come the first day of my detox, and I was like, oh God, this is going to hurt. And I I know I told you this, but like, so I started the detox Monday, Tuesday morning still, because I had a headache Monday. Tuesday morning, I woke up with a headache. 
who wakes up in the morning and has a headache? I thought, oh God, this is going to be a problem. And it lasted all day. I took two naps on Tuesday just to try to make my headache go away. Didn't help. And by Wednesday, I felt fine. But I tell people, if you can wean off coffee a little bit, like don't do what I do, do what I say. No, yep. Yes. I, I'm planning on starting mine on the 12th. Um, and so okay. I have been decreasing my caffeine so that I don't get the crazy headaches. But, um, and, and I remember checking in with you a couple of times in the first week, your detox and you're kind of like, yeah, I'm going through it. <laughs> going through it. And, you know, for most people, because we live in a society that's like, oh, I just want to feel comfort. I don't want it to be painful. I don't want to have a headache. I'm going to take a pill. We were programmed by society to think when you experience pain, the first thing you have to do is make the pain go away. And I challenge people to really sit with it and to be in it and to be like, why is this happening for me? What's coming up for me? Oh, maybe next time I cleanse, I'll make a different choice around caffeine in the days and weeks leading up to it because I don't want to have that huge crash off of it. Or maybe I will, I will experience, you know, some of my food choices or not have some desserts while I'm on vacation, whatever it might've been that made the switch over to cleansing more difficult. I may change that for the next time. And every time is just an opportunity to learn. I actually received a testimonial that I just shared on social media a little bit ago from a woman who said, this was my second time cleansing with you. And the reason I did it this time was just to get more energy and to feel better. And lo and behold, I lost six pounds and three and a half inches from my waist. And I was like, wait, what? That's amazing. Oh my God. Right? In two weeks. And she feels so good. And a lot of it has to do with, and I talk about this in the course, and you know this, people don't realize that if they never go through a comprehensive nutritional detoxification process, you can have, sorry, folks, it's sick, but it's true. (laughs) You can have fecal matter trapped in the wall of your large intestine and your colon for days, weeks, months, for some people even years, depending on what their diet is like. And so one of the first consequences that most people report to me after they do my cleanse is, holy cow, my tummy is flatter. And I say, yeah, we got a lot of stuff, you know, literally crapping all week. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And like getting all of that out of your body feels so good because a lot of that extra bloat that you have in your belly can be from just trapped fecal matter, which is disgusting. Right. And probably pretty toxic to our systems, I would imagine. Yes. Great point. Because what happens is, yeah, well, and, and keep in mind, part of what's happening when you actually release feces from your body or urine from your body is you're getting toxins out. And with fecal matter in particular, if it doesn't then make its way out of your body entirely, then when it sits on the walls of your intestines, your organ, your intestinal organ will reabsorb the toxins. And now they're back in your bloodstream where you didn't want them to begin with. So it really is the cyclical process that our body will go through unless you actually get it out, which is why so many of the components that require people to eat during the cleanse, which include cruciferous vegetables, which include organic beans, which include some dark leafy greens, which include some sulfur foods. All of those foods are designed to pull those toxins out of your body and actually literally finally get them out. So your body doesn't reabsorb them. Yeah, And we're doing it again in January for anyone who's interested. January 22nd is the next cleansing date. So people can check that out. I have links already on my Instagram and stuff for people to register. Yeah. And uh, you also shared your sleep score with me this morning. You texted me your amazing sleep score. And I was like, okay, jealous because I was up far too late and I haven't quite got off caffeine yet. So I don't have those sleep scores, but I remember, um, 
on the the last time I detoxed, deep sleep. Oh, hi, girls. Oh, yeah. The girls must be excited. Someone must be walking by the front yard. Sorry about that. Uh, no, they're just saying hi to auntie. They are. They are. Oh, look, look there's a squirrel. Probably. It must, it must be something. Um, while well, you, okay. Well, I'm going to let them go. Cause they're otherwise going to bother us the entire time. <laughs> okay. We'll pause. Yeah. They're good. All right. Perfect. Um, okay. So the last time I detox, I, my deep sleep was up to three hours. Was it really? Yeah. Yes. And I, remember I yeah. shared it, I tagged you, you reshared it. And then you had people reaching out to you like, how in the hell did she get three hours of deep sleep? Yes, that's absolutely right. I forgot about that, but it's called like the magic of cleansing. And do you remember, was that after day eight? Was it after our fasting day or was it just a different night of the detox? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember. I could definitely find it. Uh, yeah, I don't know, but I know that for most people, a really, really, really valuable day for sleep is that night of day eight going into day nine after I have people fast during the cleanse. And it is remarkable how low your heart rate gets and how high your heart rate variability gets, which are the things you want. We want our heart rate lower and our heart rate variability higher in order to, you know, it, it's it's a sign and symptom to me, to me of how recovered you are, how much it's supporting your heart health, how like everything... Our, our bodies just love, by the way, once in a while to have a break from all this digestion. And they really love when we give our bodies a break from caffeine, alcohol, sugar, all these things that really interrupt the detoxification process. Because our right. body, by the way, and people who challenge me on nutritional detoxification, number one, they haven't done it yet. Because I tell people, if you've done it, you will understand how beneficial it is. Don't talk to me unless you've actually gone I through this. I didn't even know you would get challenged on this. Okay. Okay. Yes. There are, some people in the there are some people in the medical profession, I have friends who are doctors who don't think anything of nutritional detoxification. And I say, well, that's because you haven't done it yet. So if you do it and you can still look me in the eye and tell me that you don't feel dramatically different, then I will sit down and have a conversation with you. But until you do it and you look me in the eye and tell me that, forget it. So right. number one, we challenge it. And I, I laugh about that, but they challenge it more so because it is true that our body is always trying to detox. So people are like, well, your body is doing that anyways. And it is, but we're con constantly consuming all of these things that interrupt our body's natural process of detoxification. So all I'm doing with people in this cleanse is removing all of the offending substances that can interrupt our detoxification pathways and allowing our body to do what it's naturally doing and we're further supporting our detoxification pathways by consuming the kinds of foods and liquids that our body needs to have those pathways be as optimally functioning as possible. One simple example that I can give to people is we have something called a sulfation pathway in our body that's part of the phase two detoxification process. And so to support the sulfation pathway, we have to consume foods like eggs, onion, garlic, or daikon radish. Those are all high sulfur foods. Those would be things that you would want to consume every day to make sure that sulfation pathway is optimally functioning. Another simple example would be, this is why I recommend doing a high quality protein powder or a protein shake each day. You know, you also can have chicken breast and animal protein and those kinds of things, but something that's going to give us the amino acid cysteine, the amino acid methionine, and the, these other amino acids that are 
valuable for helping our body make glutathione, which is our master antioxidant. And glutathione is being massively used during detox. We're going through it. We're using our glutathione over and over. So we have to consume the foods that are going to allow our body to make more glutathione so that we can continue to use it for detox. So that's why the detox is designed to work so well in terms of supporting your detoxification pathways. And I'm just always impressed with the testimonials I get from people who are doing their first cleanse or second cleanse or third cleanse, whatever with me, that they're still seeing and feeling amazing results, which is it's just rewarding. Oh, yeah. I mean, we started doing it the first time you put me through it. I was, well, Gary and I were living uh, together. It was, I must have been 24, 25. I was going to say, I don't think you were even married yet. No, we weren't. But yeah. it- it was in my early to mid twenties. And, yep. um, and yeah, we've been, I, I've continued to do it with you throughout the years and every single time there is a significant impact. And so yep. it is, it's wild to me that anybody would even question it. Well, uh, clearly they haven't done it yet, but not yeah. only that, this is, so now that we, you know, as you being in your field and what we know, what we know now, a lot of the foods don't deter that much or differentiate that much from how we normally eat. Right. It's yeah. like we cut out certain things, but it's like, okay, well, we're, I'm, we're normally eating um, vegetables we're normally eating whatever. So, uh, so I also don't see from other people's perspectives, how that would be considered ineffective or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they the, mostly the only pushback I've received from some people in the very very hardcore western medicine camp is that they don't see the need for it. They think it's unnecessary. Mm. And then I always say, okay, you do the cleanse and you tell me after you've done the cleanse. I think they're scared of it personally, but you tell me after you've done the cleanse that you don't think it did anything for you. And if you can look me in the eye and tell me that, then we can talk about it. But no one's taken me up on that challenge yet. Yeah, <laughs> because right. I'm sure either they think it would be too hard to detox or they just don't believe that it would get them any added benefit, which I think is very comical. Yeah. 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 But that's, you know, I'm in the nutritional therapy world, which because I'm a nutritional therapist, it's considered more of a holistic type of practice. And so, you know, there are plenty of Western medicine physicians and practitioners who very much practice and align with a lot of holistic ways of thinking, but there are also many who don't. And so it's just a totally different paradigm that, that right. some of the people live in, which is fine. That's the world they're in. And that's right. just not you the do. one that I'm in. You, you. <laughs> Yeah. So another thing, just in terms of, cause we were talking about the nutritional therapy piece of things. I yeah. don't think I got a chance to talk last time. And I'd love to just share this for people because I see people get so frustrated and what's the term um almost like resigned to the fact that fat loss or changes in body composition or weight loss or those kinds of things is just too hard or that mm-hmm. nothing works for them and so i just want to make sure that people are aware that that is a story that they can release and let go of and that there is a way to be able to not only improve your body composition or like, let's say not only to lose weight, but to actually improve your body composition. And by that, I mean, you can lose fat and gain muscle at the same time. And I hear a lot of times on social media that this is something that just isn't possible, that you can't be in a muscle gain phase and a fat loss phase at the same time. And 
part of me wants to make this like the refrain that I do on social media every day is to just get the word out there that you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Because I I just received two more results yesterday from clients, one male, one female, who have lost even more body fat and gained even more lean muscle tissue at the same time, just by dialing in their nutritional practices and their lifestyle practices to support optimal body composition. Yeah. I mean, you get the data all the time. I do. I really do. What can so for for people who may not follow you, which is probably not many, because I think everybody who listens probably follows you. <laughs> but for people who may have not seen it before, what kinds of results are you seeing in what kind of span of time when yeah, you work with clients? Great question. I will just use the two most recent examples that I had because they just they're fresh top of my mind because I received them yesterday. So for one, this is a man that I've been working with for six months. So I literally last week just sent him his very last meal plan in the six months. So he received 26 weeks of meal plans with me. And this is someone who, and and I always like to give the whole context because I want people to understand that results are, of course, very individualized and not everyone's results are the same, but everyone's results are perfect for exactly where they are and where they're at in their health journey. So he's a man who's in his 50s. He doesn't take any hormone therapy. He had gotten to the point where he was like, I've put on way too much weight. I don't feel good in my body anymore. You know, I'm someone who feels like I'm probably drinking too much wine. I'm just kind of eating what's put in front of me. I'm having sandwiches at lunch. I'm not really intentional. I have a very stressful career and I really want to take control of my health. So this person, I had him do a bod pod and that's one of the ways that you can test your body fat and your lean muscle tissue. So I have everyone get either that or a DEXA scan before we start working together, depending on where they live and what they have access to. And when we started working together, he got his first bod pod in May of 2023. So on May 8th of 2023, he was 38.4% body fat and he weighed 240 pounds and he really wanted to get down. I mean, his goal was to say, I want to eventually be under 200 pounds and I want to dramatically reduce my body fat. So since May, he just got his last bod pod yesterday. He went from 38.4% body fat as of November 5th. He's at 21.5% body fat. And more important than that, he gained, this is incredible, he gained 10 pounds of muscle, 10.6 pounds of muscle, which is incredible. So his fat loss, his fat mass loss, he started with 92.2 pounds of fat on his body and he went down to 43.4 pounds of fat on his body. So I wish I could do math easy, but I can't. So I'm just going to do it on my calculator here. So he lost lost 48.8 pounds of fat off his body while at the same time gaining 10 pounds of muscle, which is like unbelievable. So now he weighs a total of 202. So he's just about under 200. So it looks like he only lost quote unquote 38 pounds because he was 240 and now he weighs 202. But that doesn't account for all the muscle he gained. So he really lost 48.8 pounds of fat. Any day of the week, you are, you look way better naked if you lose more body fat and put on muscle than if you just lose weight. I tell people all the time, I don't care what your total weight is at the end. I mean, that's not true. I care. But I would way rather have you losing fat pounds. I don't want you losing muscle pounds because that's going to slow down your metabolism. And now you're going to have to diet even further. And eventually all of that weight is going to gain back. This man will now, he's now set himself up to keep that weight off because of how he did it. He lost fat and gained muscle at the same time, which is so fun. 
So why is it that people think that that is not possible? Because I've heard that like myth before, and which is ridiculous. I think the myth comes from the bodybuilding world because you have, and it's comical because I'm a professional bodybuilder and I don't ascribe to this either, but you have all these people who spend six months in what they call like a gain phase Mm. where they put on all this muscle and then they spend six months trying to lose all the fat on top of the muscle because they put on muscle and fat together. Whereas if you play the long game, I mean, this man worked with me for six months and he put on 10 pounds of muscle while taking off 48 pounds of fat. And I have results like this all the time, by the way, guys, like this is very common. And I have a client success highlight on my Instagram that like goes through all of these bod pods so you can see them for yourselves. But to me, I think that it just got skewed somehow. It's kind of like how all of these random myths start in the bodybuilding world. Like creatine is is like a steroid. Okay, creatine is not anything like steroid. But I think that became another myth that came from the bodybuilding world. So the short answer, Lindsay, I, I don't know exactly other than to say it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so I can yeah. tell you it's wrong because the other example I would give you is a female and she sent me her DEXA scan yesterday because she lives in another state, doesn't have access to the bod pod at Discover Strength. And so we started working together six months ago. And at the time she started at, where's the percentage? Okay. She started with me. She was somewhere, so she got a she got a DEXA scan a while before she started working with me, and then she got one a little bit in our work together. So she was somewhere between 34 and 40% body fat. So let's just say she was like 36% body fat because she got this a couple months into our work together. Just yesterday, she's down to 26.6% body fat, and she has lost, in terms of fat tissue, she's lost almost 20 pounds of fat off her body. Wow. Yeah, between 15 and 20 pounds of fat off her body. And I always say for women, I want you under 28% body fat. So healthy for women is somewhere between about 15% and 28%. And so she's now at 26.6. So she's in a total healthy range for women. And she's in her 50s. She's thriving. She feels so good in her body. And she has so much more energy, which is what it's all about. Right. It's so right. fun. Well, and then, of course, as you age, the importance of muscle even increases because yes. the more muscle can you talk a bit about that why um why that's even more important as we age and um dismiss any myths about uh, building muscle as we get older yes i'd love to so and i i would use this women woman client that i just talked about as an example because she lives in another state and one of the things she committed to when she hired me is she is doing virtual discover strength two times per week in her fifties. So that means she's using body weight. She has some dumbbells at home and she's being trained by a trainer for 30 minutes twice a week, which is just so valuable. But really what's happening as we age is we're in, I don't want to say a race against gravity, but kind of, no, It's, it's really a race against something called sarcopenia. So sarcopenia is a process that happens in our bodies that is age related muscle wasting. So our muscles start to waste away. And why does this happen? Because most people aren't using their muscles as they age. And that's one of the reasons it's so important. So there's tons of research that's come out recently about how important having muscle tissue, like actually building muscle and having that tissue in your body is critical for your brain. So like, hi, anyone who doesn't want to get dementia, you got to be strength training. Like you have no excuses. If you don't want dementia, please strength train. It's very, strength training is extremely important for your brain. 
It also obviously causes you to gain lean muscle tissue and lose body fat. So it's great for your body composition, your metabolic health. We know that strength training now in the research, the clinical research, shows as much of a cardiovascular benefit, if not more of a cardiovascular benefit, than actual traditional, quote, cardio, which is so funny because you and I were, of course, raised in a generation that it was like, cardio is king, do all the cardio you can. And I'm not saying cardio is bad. I do cardio too, because I enjoy it. And I absolutely love sweating, but it will never, ever, ever overshadow strength training for me. Strength training is superior. And then cardio comes after to how much I like it and what I have time for. So really to answer your question, it's about preventing sarcopenia and being able to not only um, continue to feel good as we age, but but really keeping all of those age-related biomarkers at bay. So like the I, I can't remember every single one of them I'm going to try here, but the four horsemen of death are considered, yeah. they put them in four categories. And I want to say cancer is one category, neurological conditions is another category, like Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's, et cetera. Um, and then- there's one that's car- the cardiometabolic health. So it's all the heart attacks, strokes, those kinds of things. Yes, this is the four. And then the fourth is metabolic dysfunction. And the thing about metabolic dysfunction is it is the thing that's at the root of all those other three. You mm-hmm. get Alzheimer's and dementia because your metabolism sucks. You get cardiovascular disease because you haven't focused on your nutrition and exercise and your metabolism sucks. I mean, metabolic health in general causes those other things, or it's at least at the foundation of all of those other things to some degree, because all of those other things are caused in some way by inflammation at the body, in, in the body. And I teach this in a lot of my courses, cancer, Alzheimer's, autoimmune diseases, all diseases that you can get are to some degree at their very base level caused by some kind of inflammation in the body. And so that's mm-hmm one of the primary reasons that focusing on our metabolic health and strength training and moving every day and really dialing in our nutrition is so valuable because if we can dial those things in, we can minimize the inflammation and thereby warding off things like autoimmune diseases, cancer, dementia, et cetera. It really is the, in my opinion, the only way to age is to focus on this. Yeah. And when you had said dementia um, earlier, I just wrote that down because I was like, okay, so not only um, does strength training uh, help with cognitive and is preventative for, for dementia, right? It can yes. Yep. Okay. But also, <clears throat> I'm. I know when we've talked about um, having having a lower carb, fat fueled diet can also contribute to preventing um, like Alzheimer's dementia. Is that accurate? Yes. Yes. Great point. And really the shortest way to think about this. And many people may have heard this before. I may have even mentioned this last time. I don't remember, but they now call Alzheimer's and dementia diabetes type three, because we have found such a connection in the literature between the conditions of Alzheimer's and dementia and a high carbohydrate, largely, you know, of course, processed food lifestyle, Mm -hmm. which is terrifying. So And this has to do with, and they're doing research on this to figure out the mechanism behind why, but I've talked to people who are on the front lines of some of the research here. And one of the things that they suspect is that it has to do with how our brain uses either glucose or ketones as fuel. And those are the two fuel sources for our brain. So glucose is sugar, 
ketones are what our body produces for fuel for our brain. When you're in a state of ketosis, when you're in a fat burning state, when you're using fat for fuel instead of carbohydrates, and for people who are pummeling their body day after day, month after month, year after year, with all <laughs> It's what I'm doing. It's pummeling. It's the onslaught of like, bring on the carbs. I mean, that's what people are doing so often. So when you're pummeling your body with carbohydrates, what happens is your brain is like, ah, and it has to deal with, your body has to actually process and deal with all of that excess carbohydrate. And yeah. so- it gets stored in various places in your body. And I, I go through a lot of that in my courses. It gets stored in your liver, then your skeletal muscle, and then it gets stored as body fat, which is why when we eat carbohydrates to excess, we put on body fat. But in addition to that, because our brain is then only using glucose and only using glucose and only using glucose, so, oh, there's more glucose, there's more glucose. And it doesn't have the opportunity to engage in that metabolic switch over to ketones, which is the alternative and by the way, preferred fuel source for the brain in many instances. I mean, you go back to 1920 when the Mayo Clinic coined the term, maybe it was 1921, when the Mayo Clinic coined the term, the ketogenic diet, when it started to be used for epilepsy because they realized when they dramatically took all the carbs out of a person's diet and had them fueled by fat, someone who was having tons and tons of seizures would all of a sudden not have any seizures. They said, wait, there's something here. So we've known about this for over a century, which is why to me it's criminal that we still haven't found a quote unquote cure for Alzheimer's. I'm like, well, the cure is that we have to stop eating all this processed food. I'm right. sorry. That's just a really, really, if you are someone who either has the genetic predisposition, predisposition to Alzheimer's or you're worried about it, it would be hoove you tremendously to either start researching or adopting or applying some of the principles of a ketogenic diet or at least start consuming far less carbohydrates and, and see how you feel. For a lot of people, what they experience is, wow, my brain fog that I didn't know I was experiencing kind of went away. Or I just have more mental clarity, or I feel more energetic, or I don't have these slumps in my day in the afternoon. And you know, one of the things I want to make sure that your listeners hear is, I'm not here to tell everyone that they need to be quote unquote keto. I mean, I'm not keto all the time. Right. I just did my two-week cleanse, which is very not keto. The cleanse is all about, okay, you're going to eat more carbohydrates and a lot lower fat for this two-week period, but yeah. every single carbohydrate you put in your body is from a whole vegetable or fruit. It's yeah. not, there isn't any sort of noise. Yeah. You're not eating pasta yeah. and I don't know, honey nut Cheerios or something. <laughs> so you're not eating that kind of stuff. But I feel like having people at least understand that ketosis is a natural state that we can be in and that babies are born. Yes, in a thank you. Yeah. I was just going to say, will you talk about that? Because I heard you talk about that on your Facebook Live the other day. And I was like, oh, I don't think most people know this. That's they don't funny. know it. And it's in the, the what it is, what we're talking about is when you're born, every single person listening to this podcast, you were keto. So we're keto when we're born. And people are like, wait, what? You mean keto isn't just a fad diet? No, you're born that way. And so then what happens is we create humans into these sugar burners because we're pummeling them again with carbohydrates and they're doing the squeezy packs and the goldfish crackers and the, you know, don't get me started on kids food, but they're filling their bodies with sugar all day. And so because their body has to deal with and get rid of all of that sugar in order to keep the blood sugar down so that you don't get diabetes, you can't get into a state of ketosis. 
because you're dealing with all this carbohydrate that's coming into the body constantly. So one of the things that I just ask people to open up to is, listen, I am not telling everyone they have to be keto. I actually don't recommend that. I treat every client who comes to me as individual. And I say, let's just for a period of time, because one of your goals is fat loss, let's reduce your carbohydrate for a period of time. I will increase your fat so you really won't feel it. You're not going to be hungry. Don't worry. This won't feel like a quote unquote diet. And watch the fat start to melt off your body because you actually are going to get into a state of ketosis with me at some point. And then you can go back and forth. It's like, oh, I can have carbs when they're available. When I'm having a day where I feel like some potatoes or rice, I can have them. Maybe I have a hard workout tomorrow morning. Maybe I had a hard workout this morning and I just feel like my body needs more carbohydrate. Maybe I'm a menstruating woman who knows that there's the week before my cycle I need more carbohydrates, which is true, by the way, ladies. So just note that the week before your cycle, you need to have more carbohydrates to support your hormone balance and function. And so that would be a time to not say, I'm going to go zero carb this week. You is know, I had to eat myself at a house and home the week before my period. Yeah. By the pantry, my best friend. Well, and I always say I can almost intuitively, because my cycle is so regular, I can intuitively know where I'm at in my cycle because I can feel myself starting to fiend for carbohydrates. And I'm like, okay, then just give yourself a day or two where you really increase your carbohydrates. And when you do that, make sure you decrease your fat. Okay. So that's the thing I also want your listeners to hear. They are, they are like a pedal, two pedals in the car. You are not going to push the gas and the brake at the same time. You're going to go back and forth. You're going to put the carbs up and the fat down, or you're going to put the fat up and the carbs down. When you put both of them up, that's the fast train to weight gain. Okay. Ooh, I like that. And uh, I'm seeing it as like a teeter totter. So for those of you who can't see our hands going back and forth. Yes. Yes. The fat goes up, the carbs have to go down and um, vice versa. Vice versa. So, so where do we find carbs and fat together that would make us gain weight in all the things we love? Donuts, muffins, cookies, brownies, pizza, nachos, ice cream, you name it. All of those things are just, you know, amazing dopamine inducing mouthfeel, exciting things that cause us to want more of them. And they cause us to gain weight because all they are is carbs and fat together, which is just energy. If you can have a carb without the fat or a fat without the carb, like just a little more balanced and then mostly focus on protein, you're going to feel so much more satiated. You won't overeat. I'm not saying never have ice cream. I have ice cream sometimes too, but I would never sit there and eat it by itself. I would have a steak with vegetables, maybe some sweet potato with it, something like that. And then after the meal, I would have some ice cream and I would only do it sparingly and for a treat once in a while. Like... I don't know when we're home with the family and <laughs> when was that? I, yeah. I feel like that just happened. Oh, when, yes. Apple crisp, pumpkin bars. Okay. Oh. She did, she did adjust the pumpkin bar recipe and swapped regular flour. We, I got this from Brooke's mom who does it all the time. Um, swapped regular flour with half almond flour and then half gluten-free flour. So it's okay. gluten-free, but then it also decreased the amount of carbohydrates. And because it used the almond flour, it was like super moist and super That's... nummy. I think I showed it to you and ate it in front of you when you were detoxing actually. Oh yeah, you did. And I yeah. wanted to punch you in the face. Yes. I recall. I do recall that night. Cause I was like, I, I can't did. have that. And I mean, I think it was Halloween also. Yes. So 
it was great for me because I couldn't have candy or anything on Halloween either, which was really nice. Which yeah. reminds me, now that I'm not detoxing, I do have those Reese's peanut butter cups in my cupboard that the kids gave me. Oh, so they sweet. did. They're yeah. so sweet. Whitney <laughs> gave me one, and so then Garrison gave me one. So I got one from each of them, and I was like, sweet. Auntie can't wait until I'm done cleansing to eat these because they're my favorite. That's so cute. It was really cute. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the things that are harder for me to turn down are like the the baked goods. I can turn down candy if it, if I don't have to open the package, but if there's baked goods sitting on the table, like- yeah. And, and mom's apple crisp is one of the killers for me. I mean, that's yeah. the, the best, but I have talked to clients recently because Thanksgiving is of course coming up. And I've said, there are so many seemingly decadent desserts that you can make low carb or ketogenic that no one would ever know. And you could bring it to the family Thanksgiving and not tell anyone that you're doing it and be like, Hey guys, I made a really good pumpkin pie for you. You know? Well, I'm so glad you mentioned that because somebody had a cookbook that came out recently. I did. I did. And I saw it sitting on the counter last time I was at your house and I was so excited about it. I know. I was going to turn around and grab it. And of course it's in the kitchen where uh, I always use it. That's okay. I love it. I'm glad that it's in the kitchen because you're using it there. But I have been totally overwhelmed and so proud about the response to the cookbook just because, you know, I was in Italy when it was launched and I was with my business coach and my mastermind with all of my women and my seven sisters mastermind. And so it was so powerful to have them be there to support me. And like the fact that it went to number one bestseller within 48 hours and number one new release was like, my exciting. It was so fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was crazy to not have you home, um, to be able to celebrate that like win, but, um, we got to FaceTime. We did. Got to cry together. And cry together because it was so yeah. emotional. I know it was so amazing. I was so, and you know, you remember when I saw the first draft of the design when you and I were on Zoom, I said to you, okay, this is legitimately the sexiest cookbook I've ever seen because the designers did such an amazing job just bringing the vision to life and having it so consistent with the brand that I just was so excited when I saw the actual, the actual cookbook in design. It was neat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for anybody who hasn't picked it up yet, I mean, it's not only is it comprehensive in the amount of recipes that are included from snacks to breakfast to smoothies to lunch to dinners desserts but it also has such um a breakdown of all of the macros um suggestions and uh of uh brands and things that you've utilized and you've gotten your clients um utilizing i mean it's just it is the most comprehensive cookbook uh thank you yeah thank you so much and one of the things you know it's kind of silly that i haven't done yet but i've talked to my team about it is there are several different brands that I utilize and recommend that I get discount codes for my clients for. And so I put those in the cookbook, but I need to reach out to those companies now and be like, Hey, let's do a giveaway because I'm featuring your amazing thing. And I want to give away some copies of the cookbook. So that's been on my list for a little while. And I think kind of coming up before the holidays would be a fun time to do that because people are going to be looking for holiday gifts and everything else. And it's fun to be able to highlight some of the really high quality real food ingredient businesses that I rely on and use that I reference in the cookbook because, you know, I love, I just love supporting other businesses that are doing amazing work in the world. Right. Yeah. I think that would be amazing. And and it's so much for people to look into uh, coming, especially around the holidays and then to set themselves up for success in 2024, your, uh, your cookbook, um, they can join the January detox. 
Um, and then oh, and something else, I think. I do. I have a Black Friday sale that's coming that I'm announcing soon, which is going to be a really, really big deal. So I'm not sure when you're planning to release this episode, Lindsay, but I'm certain the sale will already be on by the time you release it. Uh, we will see. I might be able to squeeze that in. Yeah. If you could squeeze that in just because yeah. the release will be, I mean, if, if if it's timed right, it would be fun for people to get a, a leg up on that just because yeah. I'm excited because it's something that has been a labor of love for me that I prepared and created over the course of many, many, many months. And it's a ton of value and I'm, I'm offering it for a huge discount. So yeah, it'll be, it's going to be awesome. Money. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll be sure to get this in so we can get the word out because I'm really excited awesome. for people to enroll. Thank you. I'm very excited about that too. Yeah. And then the other thing is just as people think about kind of the holidays coming up, one of the things that we're working on a lot with my clients is really thinking about how they can be intentional going into this time of year. So I know the saying's annoying, but it's true. Fail to prepare means prepare to fail, right? So mm. it's just thinking about preparation. How do I make sure I don't go to holiday parties or family gatherings hungry? How do I make sure I bring some of the food that I know I can enjoy if I go there and everything is crap? How can I bring something? How can I have a protein-rich meal before I leave the house to go to that thing so I don't go headfirst into the nachos or whatever the like, food right. is that I'm going to want to eat a ton of when I get there because I went there hungry. How do I make sure I have my water bottle with me at all times? So I'm constantly hydrating because there's been in, in every time I say this, I'm like, by the way, guys, I don't know if you want to fact check me on this. I've seen this. I don't know if this is an old wife's tale, but I've read that up to 75% of the time we think we're hungry, we're actually thirsty. And so let's assume that's true. Why wouldn't you just hydrate more, have some electrolytes in your water, drink something that's going to make you feel like, oh, I'm good. I actually don't need to eat now, you know, instead of going and wolfing down the spinach and artichoke dip with 27 tortilla chips or whatever <laughs> it is, whatever it is that's oh, your delightful. guilty pleasure of choice, your hedonic deviation of choice. So it's yeah. just really thinking about as we go into this time of year, those things. So it's hydration, it's eating before you go somewhere. It's maybe bringing food that you know you can consume or bring the healthy dessert or whatever, so that you have something you can have. And then number four, I think it's so valuable at this time of year, really, really, really stick to a workout regimen. Because if you can yeah. get to the gym in the morning, if you can be sweating, if you can be doing these things that release dopamine, and that elevate your mood and release serotonin and make you feel happier, you're not going to reach for the sugary food to make you feel happier, because you already released those neurotransmitters throughout the day. Or those yeah. You know, so that I think is also really important to note is that people get so, oh, I'll just start in January. It's like, no, this is literally the best time of the year to be really regimented about your routine. Yeah. And I think for so many parents, it's, um, that I talk to, it's a matter of when they're going to get it in because if they're getting their kids ready in the morning and then they jump into work and then kids come home from school and they're chauffeuring all evening. So one of the things I've talked to you about is if my day is so busy that I haven't gotten there yet, like tonight, um, Garrison has hockey for an hour at happens to be at the community center, which the, the Y is right attached to. So yeah, I could sit there and I could visit with parents or I could go get a workout in an hour that he's working out. And so yeah. Sometimes it's just about like getting creative with the bits amount of time you have, whether it's a half hour or an hour um, and, and using it to move. It is. It's so because the truth is people have more time than they realize if they really sit and look like just the example you gave. You could sit and talk yeah. to parents and you could feel like you're stuck there or you could say, wait, I actually have a choice 
in what I do with his time that he's at practice. And right. I could go exercise during that time, which is so important. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing is I do a lot because you and I own our own businesses. I'll talk to clients when I'm walking the dogs. I'll, talk, mm-hmm. you know, I'll be getting movement and doing things like discovery calls and other things like that when I'm actually out walking the dogs and getting exercise. So that's just another thing for people to think outside the box of how they can prioritize it. It doesn't have to be, I have to spend a full hour at the gym and then I have to shower because I got all sweaty. You know, it can be these little fits and starts that you do throughout the day. Yes. Yes. Uh, And that was one of the pieces that you've always shared with me too, is um, just get up and move often throughout the day. And you don't have to think about saving an hour chunk of time uh, for a walk. If you can have uh, multiple walks throughout the day, um, that's actually preferred. Three 20 minute walks actually could be better for you than walking for an hour because it breaks it up and they call it in the research exercise snacks. And it allows your metabolism to sort of keep revving all day instead of feeling like I'm going to go walk for an hour and then I'm just going to sit and sit and sit and sit. Your body's actually meant to move and meant to get up and down and meant to be not at a chair all day long behind a computer. We just weren't meant to live that way. We weren't. Right. Speaking of which, I'm going to have an exercise snack and take Fozzie on a walk pretty quick here. Perfect. I'm going to do the same thing with the girls. I love it. Yay. Well, I'll probably talk to you. Sounds great. Um, oh, and one eleven, of course. Oh, look at that. That's a perfect time to wrap up. One eleven. Um, I love yeah. it. Wow. Of course. Well, I love you so much. Thank you for jumping on again. Um, Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. I love talking to you. Perfect. Obviously. Yes. Okay. Love you. After all, I'm just... Bye.